But there are others who are watching you, who know what I know. And whereas I can respect and admire your passion, they will use it against you. Mulder, the truth is out there. But so are lies. Hello, and welcome to Convinced Truth. This week, we watched Season 1, Episode 17, EVE. This episode aired February 18, 1994. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, the same writers from last week, and directed by William Graham. I didn't mention it last week because I knew we would cover more Glenn Morgan and James Wong episodes, but they, they're like two of the writers that were really essential for the show at the beginning. They wrote quite a, quite a bit for seasons one and two, and they left in season three because they got their own show called Space Above and Beyond. They came back for season four, and they stopped writing for uh, again, but then Glenn Morgan came back for seasons 10 and 11. We'll talk about them next time we cover their <laughs> episodes again, but they're, they're really solid, mm-hmm. and I really like the work they do. Yeah. The plot summary for this episode is we start off with a UFO getting shot down over Iraq. Then we cut to Mulder and Scully investigating UFO shinings in Tennessee, leading them to an 18-wheeler that got uh, the power shut off in the 18-wheeler and the driver was shooting (laughs) at something. (laughs) They're just trying to figure out what's the origin of the UFO sightings. And they find out like the 18 wheeler isn't hauling what it thought what they thought it was hauling, and they get sent on a wild goose chase to try to figure out where this alien or UFO is. And eventually, they find the alien, uh, except not because it's the X Files, and Mulder's too late. This is episode it revolves around will they find the EBE, the extraterrestrial biological entity? And the answer is of course not. <laughs> Why would they? Season 1, episode 17. <laughs> anyway, did you have any thoughts about the episode going in? Um, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts. I um, I remember that it was kind of like one of the first big like myth arc episodes. And I was, I was really excited for it because I remember it the first time I watched it, like actually really liking it. Yeah, I still really liked it this time. I actually, a lot of my notes this time were actually quotes from it, which generally is not what I do a whole lot, but there's a lot of quotes from this episode that I like a lot. This is such a quotable episode. It really is. Yeah, I have I have several suggestions for like what should be like our clip for our promo. <laughs> um, I know it's yeah. I, I'll just have to clip so much of the episode and intersperse it because it's just very good quality dialogue mm-hmm. in this episode for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I feel like this is definitely the first mythology episode. I mean, the pilot is technically a mythology episode. But this is the first like real mythology episodes that we've covered. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it later, but I mostly put it on the list because it's the first episode with the lone gunmen, mm-hmm. and I love them. Yeah, they're great. Immediately after the intro, we have a scene where there's an 18-wheeler, and the truck driver is driving, and he's listening to the CB, and a lot of people are talking about seeing aliens, and there's a police cars that pass him. And then eventually, the his, his 18-wheeler, all the power goes off, his truck completely shuts down and he gets out and he has a shotgun and he starts, he starts blasting. <laughs> my wife, 
was like she was watching this with me and um she was like why doesn't he have a gun and i was like he's a truck driver of course he has a gun like (laughs) right also as we learn later he's a veteran so yeah doubly yeah true but uh after that we cut to Mulder and scully uh Mulder, may i say looking very cute Doing some investigation with his little, his little he's got his little stopwatches. No, <laughs> he's got. Is that a Geiger counter? Yeah, I guess it's something. I was trying to figure out what it was. We're gonna go with Geiger counter because I think he was trying to pick up radiation. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> he's just got his backpack full of little alien hunting tools, his <laughs> <laughs> cute little gadgets. <laughs> and the whole time, Scully's offering may i say extremely bad explanation she was really pulling out the punches in this scene on how much she did not care because like she was just like i mean lightning could explain all of this or swamp gas (laughs) like she was just like so not into entertaining aliens at all (laughs) the beginning exactly It, it honestly felt like a joke like mm-hmm. how bad her explanations were. Yeah. It was like the joke was that she was saying swamp gas. <laughs> the joke was she just did not care that day. <laughs> this, yeah, she's phoning it in, which I respect. Fair. Mulder takes up a lot of patience. Um, Mulder thinks it's very cute. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they find some evidence, but not a ton to really go on. So they go to interview the driver named Ranheim. And I love in the scene when it first the scene first cuts to Mulder. He's literally got his foot up on the table, like he he can't sit like a normal person. <laughs> but he puts his foot down. Um, but can you just imagine like you're you're being interviewed by the FBI and he's just like perched up there like some sort of weeaboo trying to sit like L. <laughs> yeah, I um. I am very classically not good at sitting professionally. Like if there is a, if I'm sitting at a table and there's a chair across from me, you bet my legs are outstretched in the chair across from me. Or I'm like leaning hard back with like my feet up against the edges, you know, like leaning back on the back two legs of the chair. So I kind of identify with Mulder in the not being able to sit professionally realm. But it is yes. like really funny because it's like I like how he sometimes he doesn't really play into being the big bad scary fbi dude like being in the fbi is very minor to him and they're interviewing him and he he does not look great he's got a mm-hmm. rash he's got a cough he's obviously sick with something but before they really get any answers out of him they get escorted out <laughs> and ranheim gets let go and uh then the next scene that i found noteworthy was of course the lone gunman mm-hmm. Glenn Morgan explained that the lone gunman, like as far as their look is concerned, you know, with fires in his suit mm-hmm. and Frohickey and Langley, he he went to a uh, UFO convention at LAX and he just <laughs> saw three guys that look like that hitting out pamphlets and stuff. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's their look. Their look is just based off uh, some people he saw at a UFO convention. Some of the best character design just comes from real life. Exactly. I, I love that Byers has a suit. Mm-hmm. He, he, Byers looks like he's the lone gunman that like has to call the electricity company and stuff. Right. Like, that's his job. Yeah, he's he's in charge of making sure all, all the paperwork that has to get filed actually gets filed, you know. Exactly. And Frohookie, Fro-Hookie I think, does the cooking. 
Oh, yeah. I can see that. I don't know what Lang- maybe Langley claims. I don't know. I don't know what their chore, chore wheel <laughs> <Yeah>. looks like. <laughs> we don't know what their chore wheel looks like, but um, whatever their chore wheel looks like, we know buyers made it. Exactly. <laughs> but I love this scene. I think it's it's such a such a delicate moment when you take your partner to meet your only other friends. Right, right. Yeah, she's meeting the friend group for the first time. Yeah, and I it's I thought Mulder would like should have been like more nervous, but he seemed to be really enjoying himself when they were arguing. Yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting too whenever they were making fun of him, like Mulder is the freak <laughs> to them. Like I love yes. that. I love that. Yeah. I wrote down that quote because it was so good. That's why we like you, Mulder. Your ideas are weirder than ours. <laughs> they go to the lone gunman's place and <laughs> they both they're all so excited that Mulder's there and so they start telling him like Langley's like, I, I ate dinner with the guy who, uh, or I ate breakfast with the guy who said he shot Kennedy. He's an old dude now. <laughs> and Walter's just like, oh, really? And Scully's just sitting there like, what the fuck? <laughs> Scully's sitting there in silence because she doesn't know what to say to Mulder's weird ass friends. Exactly. And then, and then Byers is just like, hey, you know the... The the guy the Russian in charge of the social uh, head of the Social Democrats, CIA is trying to put him in power. <laughs> <laughs> but like they're old school, like they're mm-hmm. they're like reading up on the CIA. They know all the little project code words, and they know <laughs> like they've read like the Warren Commission to find out like who killed JFK. Like they're very deep into it. Mm-hmm. They like record all of their phone calls. Yes, to me, they they scream uh, commenters on intercept articles. Yeah, they're like they're like interesting sort of like pre Snowden conspiracy theorists that still I think hold really true like post Snowden now too. Yeah, yeah, but so like they don't really they don't really skeeve me out as far as like oh there are these conspiracy theorists in the show that traffics in I don't know like there's like this very delicate place. That the X Files has in regards to like conspiracy theories, I I would say because to me I think sometimes it gets too much heat because I think sometimes people conflate it happening in the real world and like the X Files being popular as like the X Files caused it, but like all those militia dudes were like <laughs> doing the OKC bombing. It, they weren't doing it because they watched the fucking X Files, right? Right. Like, the the X-Files observed the phenomena of, like, we exit the Cold War, the U.S. has no baddie, quote-unquote, to justify all of the horrendous things that we've done since World War II. Mm -hmm. And in that vacuum of, like, not having an explanation of, like, why we did all the fucked up shit we did is the conspiracy. This This is just what, like, conspiracy theory is just what happens when you have a government that is so opaque right. and secretive. And and so, like, I think that's what those guys, like, that's what the Lone Goodmen serve in the show. It's like, mm-hmm. there are people out there that believe in this stuff because there's plenty of evidence to believe in it to some degree. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it kind of holds them in a really, it holds them with respect because, you know, like, the U.S. government is doing some of these things. And... It's kind of like really interesting to see it because it's kind of more at the beginning of some of our homegrown terrorism that is like an even bigger problem today. Like you mentioned, like 
the OKC bombing and stuff and the X-Files, you know, is set around that time and like Waco and a lot of that other stuff too. And I think that like the post-Cold War United States has a lot to do with like fostering that mentality and that problem that we have today. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And I think there's there's just like a lot of stuff that like I, I, I wouldn't really call myself a conspiracy theorist necessarily. But I feel like some of the stuff you just scratch at the surface and things just get weird. Mm-hmm. And you just have like, whenever you learn about these things, you just have this like very unsettled feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it, and like those guys took that unsettled feeling and turned it into like a newspaper that they published. Yeah. <laughs> but I also did love how Mulder described them as like an extreme government watchdog group. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's actually like the best description of the lone gunman and kind of like, how the X-Files treats conspiracy theorists, like, especially in the time in which it's being made, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they are just kind of like an extreme government watchdog group. Yeah, totally. Uh, I I did have another comment about this scene. So Dean Haglund was on the Kumail Nanjiani's podcast, The X-Files Files. Files, Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this scene because when uh, Byers takes a $20 bill from Scully, which... I love how Mulder just let her walk into that. No, that dude did not say a thing. He he owes her 20 bucks back. He does. So so the scene is that Byer says, like, I'll prove it to you. Uh, I, I don't remember in what context he was going to prove whatever he's proving. <laughs> I think that the government is tracking us. Yeah. They're arguing about something. It's like, I'll prove it to you. You have a $20 bill. And she's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> she goes to hand him one. And Mulder definitely, like, leaned in, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's coming back. <laughs> he exactly knew it was coming. And so Byers takes the $20 bill and rips it to get the metallic strip out of it that is used for, uh, as Scully says, anti-counterfeit measures. But because the show is shot in Vancouver, they only had, like, one $20 bill, like, American $20 bill. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so he said it was like it was kind of nerve-wracking because it's like okay don't fuck this up <laughs> yes. you have one chance to do this right <laughs> yeah so he he rips it and he pulls out the magnetic strip and she's like that's anti-counterfeiting measures because buyers is trying to say that every time you go through a metal detector they know exactly how much you have because of the strip <laughs> and then Langley's just like, why don't they put it on the outside like other countries? It's like, <laughs> okay, first of all, that's just not how we do things in America. Everything's secretive. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think the strip is nefarious. I think our government just like doesn't trust us. Right. Like it's not even, yeah, like that even isn't the issue. They just, yeah. They hate us. They don't trust us. <laughs> they don't like us. Right. We all, we all have cell phones. The government knows where we, all, where we are all the time anyway. Exactly. None, none of the lone gunmen have a cell phone. Oh, I don't think. absolutely not. With respect to them, I don't whatever they're doing. Yeah. They start to get into more of an argument and Mulder's like, okay, knock it off. I came here for a reason. I would like to discuss what I would like to discuss. <laughs> and so he, he says, uh, do y'all know anything about Gulf War syndrome? And they mention that one of the causes, one of the professed causes of Gulf War syndrome is the fact that the U.S. government used like depleted uranium mm-hmm. on their missiles, and uh, Mulder thinks it's uh, UFOs that are causing it. <laughs> oh my God, Mulder! <laughs> Do you want me to go into my Gulf War syndrome section now or not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did like you know like the Wikipedia searching because like I I, I remember it being a thing, but I didn't really know what it was. Um. 
Yeah. So depleted uranium is actually is it's a part of it. It's actually people think that the cause is to do like a multitude of factors. But um so Gulf War syndrome, crazy fact, affects like twenty five to thirty four percent of the US troops who served in the Gulf War, which is like wow. a crazy high number. Like that's a lot of people. And like we're about, you know, like thirty, twenty five to thirty years like post the Gulf War now and pretty much people that still suffer from Gulf War syndrome like still suffer from the same symptoms. There's really been like no really effective like treatment or cure. Um and that's partially due because it's such like a multi-symptomatic disease. But what people think really kind of happened was a lot of exposure to so um uranium was one of them, but then also pesticides there was this drug that they and and neurological agents, so nerve agents. So there's this drug called pyridostigmine bromine, and it is used normally to treat a neuromuscular condition called myasthenia gravis, which is where you start losing fine control over some of your muscle movements, like your eyes and stuff. So it's been used for a long time with patients like that. And what it is is it's an acetylcholine um, esterase inhibitor. So acetylcholine basically binds to our neurons and it's what helps our neurons like send signals. And so whenever you have a neuromuscular disease and you take this drug, basically what it does is it it gives the signal enough time to happen because your acetylcholine esterase is coming in and removing the acetylcholine and like stopping their neurological signal before it's completely gone where it's supposed to go. Whenever you have that, this like helps your nerves like actually send full signal instead of stopping stopping the signal short. So like they gave troops like low doses of this because it was thought that it would help with antidotes to nerve agents because like what nerve agents do is they are irreversible acetylcholine esterase inhibitors. So they basically prevent any signal from moving at all, which is like, you know, like you stop breathing, which is like a big reason why people die from nerve agents Um, because like your brain literally can't send a signal anywhere to any of your functioning organs to like, you know, do their thing. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, like, that's why, because they knew that there would be, like, exposure to nerve agents in the Gulf War. So, like, they gave this as sort of, like, a prophylactic, but, like, it's ended up causing some of the neurological damage from Gulf War syndrome because of that. So, it's, like, that and then exposure to, like, actual nerve agents and pesticides because the pesticides work the same way. All of this and the uranium and stuff. So, it's, like, it's, like, really crazy, like, how many people it's affected from the Gulf War and that like there's really nothing they can do Mm -hmm. to like help treat it yeah yeah but yeah that was basically my big Gulf War syndrome thing is like it's due to a lot of these factors not just UFOs uh but they they laugh at Mulder uh when his uh aliens calls the Gulf War syndrome they think it's very funny <laughs> I mean, I agree with them. It is very funny. It's like it is funny. Like like yes, this is like, you know, like a super fucked up thing the government did, but it's not aliens molder. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after they leave the lone gunman, um they go back to the office and the scene starts with I think my favorite Mulder flirting attempt. Mhm. Uh probably the funniest. Where Scully's talking to him. She says, I don't know how you could think that what they say is even remotely plausible. I think it's remotely plausible that someone might think you're hot. Uh, Because Frohickey said that she was hot. 
Yeah, Faruki kept being like, she's hot. And it's like, yeah, she is. Also, like, God damn it, Mulder, that's such a good flirt. Like, mm, I hate it whenever <laughs> I like him. <laughs> like, come come to the dark side. Come like, to the Mulder apologist side. I wanna I wanna I wanna flirt with Scully and just be like, I mean, you know, it's remotely plausible that you're hot. <laughs> Uh, immediately after that very fun banter uh, Scully finds a bug in the pen mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just like a bunch of random transistors like glued to a pen yeah that was uh, weird <laughs> I think that's one thing that just like looked impressive in the 90s but like to more technologically like literate us it's just like that doesn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> um, so they find the bug and they start to get very worried and so Mulder, in his time of crisis, reaches out to his informant, which is the first time in our watching that we have seen Deep Throat. But he is fir- he first shows up in the season one, episode two episode titled Deep Throat. But this is his um, his source who is called Deep Throat, which I feel like this is a Beetlejuice thing. I just said his name like three times. So I'm going to be... <laughs> He's going to appear behind you. <laughs> There's going to be a bug in my apartment. <laughs> But it's he's played by Jerry Harden, and he's good. He's very interesting. Yeah, he's very good. Very good in this episode. So he's he he does his little signal, trying to get his attention. But in the meantime, Scully's putting in the work. Of course, <laughs> she she's doing all the research, and she finds out the truck driver isn't hauling what he says he's hauling because because he's at he, he went through a couple weigh stations. Basically, they just weigh the truck. There was a pretty big, it was like two ton discrepancy, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, he's definitely not hauling what he said he's hauling, but nobody con like, you know, stopped him or issued any sort of, he just just let to c- carry on doing yeah. whatever he's doing. And, but it turns out he, he, he's a veteran, which he said, uh, but he was former black ops and he was in Iraq, right? And he said mm-hmm. he wasn't. Yeah. He said he wasn't in the Gulf War, but he really was. So it seems that he's he's hauling something for the government, something very secret. Mulder's like, it's the UFO, which I don't think it would fit in the truck, but OK. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's part of it or something. I yeah. don't know. But anyway, the point is, it's, they're hauling something or he's hauling something. And um, so Scully's like, where'd you get this information? And he's like, I got it from my source. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> she's like, well, can you trust him? <laughs> he's like, he hasn't lied to me yet. Uh, Mulder's very trusting. It's like surprisingly so. He's he's very trusting for someone who's like on a show with the, one of the taglines being "trust no one." He trusts a lot of people. Yeah. But then there's the quality line where Scully says, "Mulder, you're the only one I trust." Oof. Oof. Yes. So good. And we talked a lot in the pilot about how like they had an established trust pretty quickly in the show. Mm-hmm. But I think reiterating how much they trust each other in this episode. Adds a lot of weight to it. It does. It's also a very important like moment for Mulder. He's like kind of freaking out this whole episode, like really freaking out. And like Scully's kind of the really calm one, and it's just like you're the only one I trust. We're in this together. Like he's not alone in the basement anymore. Yeah, and he says like, well, if you trust me, then you have to trust him because I trust him. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the transitive property, you trust him. <laughs> He doesn't say that. I'm saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so Mulder finally gets in contact with Deep Throat and he gives him a, f- a photograph 
and he very excitedly takes it over to Scully's apartment. <laughs> like, runs over to her house. Yeah, I like how they show the contrast of, like, Mulder's, like, dark, sort of, like, sparsely, like, decorated apartment, and Scully has, like, a grown-up adult house with, like, actual furniture. She owns a bed, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mulder sleeps on the couch. No. How does that man sleep on the couch? And, like, still have a body that functions. I don't know. I had to sleep on a couch for, like, a month because of, like, how moving situations went. And, like, it was not fun. And I was, like, yeah. 23. This man is really, like, 30-something sleeping on a couch every night. It's, it's not even a futon. It's a couch. <laughs> it's like a leather couch. <sighs> anyway, yeah, he <laughs> goes and r- runs to school. all excited. Yeah, and it's so fun because he's he's so much like a... A kid at Christmas. Mm-hmm. He's so excited. This could be the proof. This is the best photographic proof we've ever had mm-hmm. of aliens, of a UFO. And Scully's looking at the picture and she goes, Mulder, I think it's fake. <laughs> Which, of course, he doesn't want to hear, right? Right. And he gets really pissy and he very dramatically grabs his jacket. I love how he like <laughs> picks his jacket up and then swoops his hands under it. Yeah, he's like straight up not having a good time. <laughs> he's, being, he's so mad. Mm-hmm. He's just like, ugh. Scully, you just don't want to believe, you know? Scully's, what she says to him, is so good. It's so powerful. Yes. It's such an elegant way to lay out the dynamic between the two of them. And also, it is just so quotable and so good. And she says, some of the quotes I wrote from it were, uh, she's describing Mulder's passion and dedication. And she says, it's so intense, sometimes it's blinding. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, where I respect and admire your passion, others would use it against you. Saying that, like, you know, he's so eager to find proof that, like, they're going to use that against him. Whereas, like, she loves that passion, but she's like, let's think it through first, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And the all-time... It's so wild that this show has 11 seasons, and this is, like, top five best quote from the show <laughs> no. in episode 17 of season one. Is the truth is out there, but so are lies. Ugh, Scully. So good. Goddess of reason. <laughs> and she, she looks great delivering the lines. Yes. And Mulder is still irritated, but you can tell that he she's made her point. Yeah. And he kind of he stops and he kind of goes, thank you. And then just kind of storms off. <laughs> it's like, it's like what he needs to hear. It's like, it's hard whenever there's like someone that you're close to and they're like really excited about something and you kind of have to be the Debbie Downer for their own good and be like, yes, but we need to like take a second and stop and just like reevaluate because I know you want to, you want to believe so hard and that's great, but also like don't let yourself be taken advantage of because the lies are also out there. Like trust, but don't trust blindly. Right. And, and it's so interesting because I don't think it's ever like explicitly said in the show, but I feel like you could infer that like the forces against Mulder conspired to have Scully assigned mm-hmm. to Mulder. Like it's never said in the show really, but I feel like it's not that much of a leap to assume that like they wanted somebody to discredit him. And so they, they had her join the X-Files, but in doing so, they only made him more powerful <laughs> because <laughs> they gave him someone that will hold him accountable in a way that like he needs it. Mm-hmm. So Mulder huffs off and Scully comes back to the office and it turns out Mulder did have the photo analyzed further and did find out that it was a fake. So then Mulder finally meets Deep Throat after finding out the photo was fake and that finding out he was trying to mislead him and send them because he said the photo showed the crap like a UFO 
and that that photo was taken at Fort Benning, Georgia, and that that evidence is like, okay, what you're looking for is in Georgia, where Scully found evidence that the truck was moving west towards Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so Mulder figures out that Deep Throat was trying to divert him from finding out where the truck is in the west part of the country and instead trying to get him to go to Georgia. (laughs) And so he meets Deep Throat and he's like, why are you not in Georgia? (laughs) (laughs) And Mulder says, I know it was a fake. And Deep Throat just kind of goes, well, congratulations. That was some of our finest work. (laughs) This... The shitty Photoshop was some of our finest work. <laughs> Your finest work is you couldn't figure out how to photograph to, you know, get rid of the moon reflected in the window and of the car. put on a proper shadow. <laughs> yeah. It, this is the 90s. They they didn't have the, mm-hmm. the tech. They didn't have the uh, deep fakes now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But this is the scene between Mulder and Deep Throat, I thought was one of the strongest scenes in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very good. It kind of gets to the heart of the conspiracy in the way that, like, it offers an explanation from the government's point of view of, like, why they're doing the things they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> Deep Throat very much in this scene has a very paternalistic attitude. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, we have to keep these things secret. It's to protect everyone. Like, people couldn't handle the truth, right? And and Mulder is like, oh, is, is that is that what this is? And then he lists like a bunch of lies the government has perpetuated. Like he mentions the Tuskegee experiments mm-hmm. where the U.S. government um, basically had a group of, I think, mostly black men, black men allegedly being treated for syphilis, but not being treated for syphilis. They just watched them die. They watched them like give mm-hmm. syphilis to other people. They told them they were treating them for it and then just basically were like, well, let's just see what happens if someone has syphilis for a very long time. Yeah. And like just completely, you know, killing and like damaging people's bodies without their consent for generations too. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. Like, like, and even just like the medical racism of just like testing right. a bunch of like black Americans. Right. And so he mentions the Tuskegee experiments. He mentions Iran Contra, and he mentions Watergate. And he mentions a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that has, you know, happened. <laughs> Yeah. A list of things that have happened. <laughs> a list of the awful things the U.S. government has done. Exactly. And, and Mulder has a, a a line here that I found really interesting. He says, I guess, uh, it's like, where are the lies in? I guess it won't end as long as men like you decide what is true. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just like, it, it very much is like what Mulder's fighting is that there's groups within the government or even outside the government that have an enormous sway that get to dictate what is truth to us, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that happens to this day, right? Oh, absolutely. They they lied us into the Iraq War. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like it, it's only become more prevalent. It's it's only become more prescient. Mm-hmm. And it just it's you have deep throat deciding what we as American people are allowed to know, mm-hmm. and you have Mulder trying to find out that truth. Yeah. Despite that, it points to, I think, the good the good point that Deep Throat makes that a lie is most convincingly hidden between two truths. And like, I think that's Mm -hmm. a good thing to keep in mind when like thinking about the government and especially like in the X-Files, like in the show and like how the government treats, you know, Mulder and Scully. Like it is very much just like a lot of these conspiracy theories are still conspiracy theories instead of just known fact because lies are hidden between two truths, you know, totally. So the next scene I wanted to talk about was um, 
the when Mulder and Scully are in the car. They're in the car and they're I think they're heading to the airport. They're trying to they're being tailed badly, I may say so. Oh yeah. Very badly. This scene was so funny because it was like <laughs> you you have like Mulder pull over to let Scully out of the car, and then the guy the guys trailing them pull over to let somebody out of the car. And the guy, like, at one point just straight up stares at Scully and then, like, turns his head when she looks at him. It's just like, this is, if this is the best the secret organization that is trying to fight Mulder has, he's going to find out the truth eventually. Right. Like, shout out to the Americans, but, like, Stan and the Americans was way better than any of these other (laughs) FBI slash CIA agents just like it's like exactly it's really interesting like having seen Shelby and I are both really big fans of the FX drama the Americans and it's a spy drama and has very good spy craft in it so like watching Tradecraft. that and then watching the like this bumbling around in the X-Files was like really really funny <laughs> it is I wonder how much of that is just like the 90s is like the thrillers of the 90s were just, like, bad at, like, the tradecraft uh, yeah. of, of like, spies. I think so. Or if it's just, like, the X-Files, it's just like, oh, okay, I don't know, they're following them. Yeah. <laughs> and they lose them. Like, I mean, first of all, everybody should watch The Americans. But, like, yes. basically what The Americans does is, like, when they're tailing somebody, they have six or seven cars or however many cars they have. So they trade off, trade like, trailing somebody. So it's not just like seeing the same car behind somebody for like four hours. Right. And you're not you're just cycling like through cars. one car away too. Right. Right. And so like if these guys were doing it seriously, like they would have people on foot mm-hmm. or they would have, you know, several cars and they would cycle through them. So like because uh, Mulder and Scully probably aren't that cute up on like anti-surveillance techniques. Mm hmm. So they probably wouldn't notice being trailed if they were doing it correctly. Yeah, I mean, Mulder just right before this, like, searched his apartment for a bug for the first time. Like, dude, this is the first time you're searching your apartment for bugs? Like, that is shocking to me. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. We didn't talk about it, but Mulder does very frantically. He does find a bug, too. He finds it in his outlet. He almost touches a live electrical socket, by the way, which is like, dude, (laughs) don't. The man has one brain cell. (laughs) God, and it's just aliens. (laughs) <laughs> he's proving it in this episode yes he has one brain cell is constantly thinking about ufos and aliens that's it he has a one-track mind Mulder and scully's gr- grand plan for um because they're trying they're trying to figure out where the truck is but they're trying to do it in a way where people who are surveilling them don't know that they are looking for the truck and so their idea was which i don't know if this is a good idea or not i i assume not but i guess it works because they don't get found out but what they do is they but they, they take they do get found out <laughs> yeah i guess so i don't know but basically they they, <laughs> they go to the airport and book a bunch of plane tickets and they fly around and then while they're in the sky they're on the phone calling wave stations so their conversation can't be listened to, mm-hmm. or at least that's their plan. And so they end up meeting in a an airport gift shop to find out if either of them found the truck. And uh, Scully does find the truck, and she finds out where it's heading in roughly in the direction of Washington. So much of this is just explaining the plot because it's, yeah. it's a good episode, but so much of the episode is like pushing forward in a kind of risk manner mm-hmm. <laughs> via the plot yeah yeah so the this episode very much has going for it is like the plot is pretty compelling and the dialogue is aces <laughs> yes so essentially they eventually find out the truck is in washington 
So they go to Washington and they stake out a highway. It should drive past. And so all of their work has led to, to this moment <laughs> following the truck. And they're like, okay, you're like, okay, they're finally going to figure out what's in the back of this truck, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. I, no, of course not. No. I also like how, like, while they're waiting, Mulder's just musing, like, all these people watching this truck drive down the highway and thinking it's filled with, like, something like livestock. And I'm like, Mulder, that's not, that's very obviously not a livestock truck. Like, there's no holes. Like, have you ever <laughs> seen a livestock truck? It's like, there aren't, like, solid walls. Like, there's there's holes because livestock need to breathe (laughs) (laughs) this that's like a thing the x-files is like very interested in is the idea that like a truck you could drive past could be hauling something secret government stuff yeah i i don't give that much thought to what the at wheelers are hauling if i'm going to be honest same but yeah (laughs) they're very interested in this this is something that comes up sometimes it's a bit of some of almost like a romanticized like whimsy aspect to it like any truck could contain secret government secrets exciting ooh and it's like yeah okay maybe (laughs) yeah (laughs) and yeah i don't know if it's our age or or what but it's just like i don't know i think this is like one of those things where the x-files feels maybe not a bit dated but everything just is so interconnected now that Mm -hmm. like it feels like there's this like there's no mystery yeah necessarily it doesn't help that like every time someone <laughs> thinks there's a mystery it like turns out to be really weird right like mm-hmm. do you remember that um the tiktok uh, wayfair thing yeah where it was like wayfair was naming <laughs> that they were actually like selling children like human trafficking yes. instead of cabinets Whew. yeah so like there's this this conspiracy theory that popped off on twitter tiktok and on on like a lot of other a lot of like facebook is pretty notorious right but like i saw it everywhere oh really yeah i yeah i think it originated on tiktok maybe but basically what they did is like wayfair had these really expensive cabinets because they were like they're like thirty thousand dollars because they're made for like big companies and everything but in like (laughs) in very uh tech people fashion they were like named after people Mm -hmm. or like not named after people but they had like people names instead of just like black file cabinet or whatever yeah like the margaret cabinet (laughs) yeah so like some brain genius was like actually they're not selling cabinets they're selling children because i found there's like this missing child named margaret (laughs) basically there are lots of missing children (laughs) anyway so like that's the kind of conspiracy theory that we get now and it's lame (laughs) and it's weird (laughs) and it's children (laughs) yeah Anyway, they get to the truck. Yes, they they get to the little something. They're following the truck, and there's a big flash of light. Mm-hmm. And they suddenly see the truck is stopped, and nobody's in it. And it isn't an alien abduction, because Mulder does his little... He pulls out his little kit. He's got his little clocks. His little stopwatches and his Geiger counter. Yeah, he's got his, his toolkit, and he's like, no, that's not what happened. It's some other mystery uh, government weapon that we don't know about, <laughs> mm-hmm. according to Mulder. Yeah. Could have just been a bright light. Who knows? Yeah. But they finally get to the truck, though, and they move the boxes out of the way. And in the truck is this uh, kind of weird gurney. Like a weird medical setup. Yeah. And so it was, but the there's no body in it. So Mulder's like, okay, there definitely was an alien being hauled in this truck because we found the truck and we found the medical station that had this entity. Mm-hmm. And so Mulder's like, okay, it's not here. Where is it? Right. So they had to do they had to do so much detective work to find this truck. Yeah. 
it's like honestly just like thinking about it's exhausting because now they find the truck they don't find the body they go back to the hotel room and they have to call ufo networks that log uh ufo sightings to find where it is (laughs) which is very genius i think Mm -hmm. Uh, i also imagined he's like pretty good friends with a lot of them (laughs) like (laughs) yeah he's like he's got friends with like the mufon groups <laughs> yeah they find out there's been a lot of ufo sightings in was it Mattawa, Wash- washington i want to say yeah and so they go to they go to Mattawa and <laughs> they're driving by and they see these people hanging out and it's a ufo party oh my gosh i love this party did this party remind you of like ren fair parties shelby because that's what yes, it reminded this me is of ren fair but for people really into aliens <laughs> right it's just alien ren fair like the drinking the like various alcohol yeah they get greeted they get greeted and the guy's like that's alien for hello or something yeah that's god i miss run fairs that is like classic run fair there's like a fire going some guy is still dressed up and carrying his weird sign amazing yeah someone probably made homemade meat or something oh god Anyway, it looks very fun, and I think the episode should have just ended with them hanging out at this UFO party. Yeah, I agree. This alien Renfair <laughs> party. Hanging out in the woods. But of course, Mulder and Scully are not satisfied at the alien UFO party, and so they realize that the alien is probably at the the power plant right outside. Mm-hmm. So they break into the power plant via the lone gunman hacking them some credentials. Oh my gosh, the way they like just printed out like fake ID badge information <laughs> was just like really funny. Also, the one of the names, uh, I assume both of them, but I don't know who the other person is, but Tom Braidwood, which was uh, Mulder's alias, he is actually the guy who plays Frohickey. Okay. And the guy who plays Frohickey, Tom Braidwood, is the first assistant director of the X-Files. Oh, cool. So you'll see his name a lot in the show. Mm-hmm. It's like a Easter egg. But also, it's just funny that like Frohickey... They're like going to cat because they they I think they wanted the lone gun. Well, they didn't want, but like they were anticipating the lone gunmen were like one offs. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like, OK, we can get our AD then we'll just hire these other two random Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> but the lone gunmen are a pretty crucial part of the show. Mm-hmm. So they get passes and they're walking around the building lost. Mm, very lost. <laughs> Poor Scully got dragged into this. She's just like, Mulder, they're going to know if we turn back around, they're going to know that we're lost and that we're not supposed to be here. Yeah, she's so over it. (laughs) She's so over it. And a security guard finds them. And like, while he's like trying to escort them back, Mulder like bolts into the park. Unlocked level six door, I must say. (laughs) Like this dude is guarding this door, but this door is also unlocked. Yeah. And so like Mulder bolts and like Scully runs interference and that like she swats the guy away. Like he has his gun out and then she like pushes him kind of. She tries. She's tr- yeah, she's trying to help. But so Mulder is running, trying to find where the EBE is. And he's being chased by security guards. And they finally catch up to him and corner him. But then lo and behold, who comes out? But Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get Deep Throat's reasoning behind helping Mulder. Or at least as so far as like, if you're of the mind that like what Deep Throat is saying is true, we're getting some mm-hmm. reasoning behind him. But basically he tells Mulder, That after Roswell, all the countries got together and decided that if anyone found an EBE, they had to kill it. And so Deep Throat had to kill one when he was with the CIA in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he feels so guilty for that, that like 
he helps Mulder because this is his idea of... Atonement. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a weird atonement plan. Yeah, also, like, if that's the plan, why exactly did Joe, like, take this EVE from Iraq to the U.S., drive it all the way across the U.S. just to kill it, you know? Right. That's at least what Deep Throat says. But after he says that, Mulder's quiet for a bit. And then Deep Throat's like, oh, you're not really saying anything. And Mulder just says, I'm trying to figure out which lie to believe. Mm-hmm. It's it's such an interesting way to kind of bookend Deep Throat and Mulder's relationship in this episode. Mm-hmm. In that, like, he trusts him fully at the beginning. But by the end, he's like, I don't know which lie I'm supposed to believe. Yeah, there's this great there's this great shot where, like, Mulder's looking in through the window of the room where they held the EBE. And Deep Throat is right behind him. And it's definitely like, and you see the reflection and it's definitely like, is, is Deep Throat being truthful? And like, this is like, you know, him trying to be like more of like a mentor's sort of like figure towards Mulder still? Or, you know, is he, he's still controlling the situation and lying to Mulder? Yeah, totally. And even like this idea that in the episode, I talked about like how when he was talking to Mulder after Mulder found out the photo was fake, he had this very like paternalistic view of mm-hmm. Mulder and the American people. But even like earlier than that, when Deethro gave him some other evidence, mm-hmm. they'd talk about baseball and they talk about like, we should go to a game, which is a very like father son mm-hmm. thing to do. They talk about going to an Orioles game because, of course, in the 1990s, the Nationals didn't exist. Yeah. Well, they existed, but they were in Montreal. (laughs) They were the Expos. (laughs) But yeah, so like very much this episode, it's like they have a father-son kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. But in that same token, like Mulder doesn't have to believe everything this father figure says to him. Right, right. He kind of, he blindly trusts Deep Throat in the beginning, and now it's definitely much more... He's being a more guarded, which is good. He needs to be more guarded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's essentially the uh, the, uh, the episode. Mulder and Scully do not find hard evidence, uh, but they spend a lot of time doing a lot of work to find no evidence. And and also they learn that like they need to be more careful within their everyday lives because they're being listened to and followed. Totally. Do you have any concluding thoughts about the episode? I mean, I think it's a really good episode. It is It is very plot dense and that can make it hard to just kind of describe and talk about without watching it. Mm-hmm. But it serves an important point. It's definitely an important point within the X-Files as a general thing because it's definitely the first, like, they... They cannot trust. I mean, they knew that they couldn't trust the government to an extent, I think, before, but, like, they really can't trust. Like, they really are alone and only have each other in some of this. And I think that, you know, this is kind of their first big example of that, of, like, they're being bugged. Like, they're being listened to. Like, people that they trust are are also, like, telling them lies because, like, they can't always tell them the truth. Yeah, I think it's really important, you know, because of that, but... Yeah, it's a really good episode. It's the dialogue's fantastic. I I I don't write down a lot of quotes normally for X-Files episodes, but I wrote down several for this one because it's very good and I would like to touch on the scene where Mulder meets Deep Throat after discovering the fake photo. It's at an aquarium and they're watching mm-hmm. the sharks in a shark tank and Deep Throat has this, you know, mentions to Mulder like sharks die if they stop swimming, so don't stop swimming. I think it's really interesting cuz it like could be encouraging like continue your hunt for truth Mulder but it's also like could be a little bit like ha ha we're playing with you and dangling like a cat toy in front of you like dangling you on a string like keep swimming idiot 
So, yeah, I think that's really good. Also, even like, I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional, but the idea that Mulder has to investigate aliens, Mm -hmm. like as a a life mission, much like if the shark stops swimming, because because the way the Mm -hmm. sharks breathe is that like the water rushes through so it has to have constant motion for them to constantly survive Mm -hmm. so the idea that like Mulder if he stopped looking like he would die yeah (laughs) it's kind of grim but like it is honestly not off mark no it's it's actually I think really on point and for someone that's like an informant to kind of have to really lampoon Mulder like that is is I think stark for him I don't think he was expecting that yeah yeah I think I think this the structure of like things being right in their grasp and they're losing it. Something the X-Files does a lot because it is a conspiracy show. Mm-hmm. And if you give evidence to the conspiracy, you kind of lose that angle, right? Yeah. But it didn't really make the episode exhausting that that was the case. It wasn't like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> I felt like mm-hmm. I wasted a 45. It was like, no, like it felt like really solid, even though you kind of suspected they weren't going to get what they needed. Yeah, it's compelling. And also, as you said, it sets up this, you know, they're really on their own. They're really mm-hmm. out on a cliff edge, just trying to find the truth. And you're right. Like the dialogue is so good in this episode. Yeah. It's, it's just aces. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I chose it because 80% because of the lone gunman. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Uh, but it is, it is a really solid mythology episode that doesn't feel so overwhelming, I would say. Yeah. Now it is time for our segments. Yay. And as always, we start off with... Shut up, Mulder. Damn it, Mulder! Mulder! How annoying was Mulder this episode? Drumroll. I think I'll go first. I feel like it's more fun if, like, my very low ranking stuff's mm-hmm. before uh, everybody else's. <laughs> just, just trying to bury the lead, I think. He wasn't that annoying. It wasn't even annoying, but, like, him being huffy at Scully was, like, the most he got, like, Mm-hmm. You're, well, also he ran off. Um, anyway, <laughs> I I feel like I think I will give him a five. I think he was like mildly annoying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm taking I'm taking to heart the criticism I received last week <laughs> <laughs> about my low ranking. Uh, okay, I yeah. So I'll go next. Uh, I give him a six, which is close to where you gave him. But again, my baseline is like five. Um. I give him a six because he's really he's not that annoying but he is like kind of annoying in this episode it's a bit he's a bit frantic like and like he's going through a lot i get that but like he's kind of like frant- when is he not he's almost like a frantic teen in this episode at times though it's like dude just chill out <laughs> like just chill out for a second like, take a breath get the photo analyzed like calm down yeah um he was he was very cute in the scene with the lone gunman yeah that was really funny. he was having entirely too much fun with scully making fun of them oh entirely like entirely it's definitely like here meet my weird friends like we've been dating for a little bit come meet my friends for the first time but i'm gonna give you like as minimal preparation and warning for how weird they are and we'll, <laughs> we'll just see how it goes now you're out 20 bucks sorry scully <laughs> Like, give her $20 back. <laughs> also, I I, th- I I don't know if we mentioned this, but I did love the line where Byers uh, like, was talking about the, the, the most heinous and evil force of the 20th century. <laughs> and Mulder goes, Barney? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Byers is like, the CIA. <laughs> I mean, Byers is correct, but... Uh, yes, Byers is correct, but also Scully found his joke very funny. 
I know. And then our next segment is Scully's sassiest moment. So uh, this must be the enigmatic Agent Scully. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Um, Yeah, she wasn't very sassy in this episode, and I think because it was very serious plot-wise, and also, like, Mulder was kind of freaking out, and so sometimes, like, sassiness isn't always the best response to, you know, your partner just kind of freaking out the entire time. But, uh, yeah, very clearly at, at the beginning, whenever she just is, like, swamp gas... And Mulder's just like, really swamp gas? And she's like, yeah. And then like goes into the scientific explanation for like swamp gas. <laughs> and she just really commits to, to that as an answer. And I think that's that's a really good sassy moment from her. That is really good. Mine is in when they were meeting the lone gunman. And um, after Byer says, that's why we love you, Mulder. Your ideas are weirder than ours. <laughs> she gave this like, side eye to Mulder and it was just like mm-hmm. 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 it was really good it was just like yep see I'm not I'm not alone finally her and buyers agree on something they do and so our final segment is the 90s moment of the episode welcome you've got mail uh, I can go first I thought this episode had like some pretty so- solid 90s moments but the funniest scene to me is absolutely when Scully's at the airport and she buys a ticket and she's like, I'd like to buy a second ticket and I would like to pay in cash, presumably oh so I can follow her. Yeah. And I would love to have somebody try to pull that shit at an airport. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, how 90s is it to just... Very 90s to pay for a plane ticket in cash because you cannot do that now. Yeah, I googled. I had to Google. I was like, really, can you do this now? And like, apparently you can, but you are going to have to go through like stricter security measures Mm -hmm. and it's more expensive and you have Mm -hmm. to like buy it like a couple days in advance. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be more expensive because of that, too. Yeah, it's like crazy. It's like kind of really funny. Their whole like how much of the plot was like focused on them, like crisscrossing around the country. You just, like, can't do that that easily these days. Like, thinking of, like, oh, the government's, like, tracking you, like, your every move, but, like, they're flying around in order to not be tracked. And it's, like, no, you're actually, like, some of the most tracked ever when you're on a plane in the United States now. My most 90s moment is, I guess, uh, Gulf War syndrome and, like, all of the talk of the Gulf War because... That happened in the 90s, <laughs> um, the early 90s. It's like interesting because we were born like during that period. Right. So it's like we don't we don't really remember the first Gulf War within the context of like it actually like happening. Like 9-11 was like like a huge, huge shape on like our childhood and like mm-hmm. our just world post it. And so it's just like really interesting being like such a post 9-11 person like remembering mm-hmm. like old enough to remember when 9-11 happened first off and then sec- but not old enough to remember the gulf war but like watching this episode being kind of like so hinged around like the cia and like the united states and the gulf war and like being set like at the beginning in iraq like very 90s exactly and it's it's so interesting for us because it's like i always forget that we had a first gulf war right 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 we don't even really learn about it like i don't know about you but like i wasn't really taught about the first gulf war in school like at all no i like genuinely don't know what we did it was like a couple months at the very most. like i don't think it was very long to begin with it wasn't very long and like it's it's so interesting to not really know that much about it but like it influenced the lead up to 9-11 like heavily like so much right 
we know we know a lot about the lead up to 9-11, but not a lot about the main instigating event, which was the Gulf War, then it's very strange. Mm-hmm. I think we'll eventually get into this in more detail, but the interesting comment about 9-11 and about how like we very much are children of 9-11 mm-hmm. in the sense that like we've only really experienced like a post 9-11 world yeah in that chris carter his big influence in like the x-files well he had a lot of big influences but he he was a child of watergate like he mm-hmm. grew up around watergate mm-hmm. so <laughs> a, a bit of kinship between like growing up around watergate and growing up around like 9-11 slash the Iraq War and, like, all of the fallout of yeah. the Iraq War. Yeah, because I guess he was Watergate and, like, Vietnam War because, you know, those were, like, the same time. Totally. He was a kid. He grew up in that period where the U.S. was, like, extremely more suspicious of their government. Mm-hmm. I feel like it wanes. Like, we're always suspicious of our government, but sometimes it's a little less suspicious. Like, yeah. the 80s, I don't think people were particularly, like, that worried about the governments they should have but <laughs> right right it was always again like this is like a post cold war too like it was always like i think like in the 80s like the cold war was still going on like it was kind of at its height with its tensions with like the ussr so mm-hmm. that was kind of more of the focus of everything yeah i think i think that's another reason i, I really like the x-files it it, it it doesn't really feel date i mean it feels dated in some ways but it doesn't mm-hmm. really feel dated in the sense of like our government's doing a lot of suspicious things because mm-hmm. I grew up in a time where I really very much internalized the idea that our government was doing a lot of mm-hmm. suspicious things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we haven't had a break since like post the Iraq war and yeah. like, you know, not finding the WMDs they claimed that existed. Right. It is like really just been because I feel like after that, not immediately, but like, yeah, the Snowden re- revelations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say like, like this episode you know, hinging so much on them being surveilled, like, but like in our post Snowden world, we're like, we know, we know we're being surveilled constantly. We joke about it all the time. I think that's the only way we can deal with it is joking about it. But yeah, like it's, they're being surveilled and so much of the episode is them being surveilled and it's just like, yeah, of course they're being surveilled. Who isn't? Right, right. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I think it's like that, that would have more impact, like not, like when it, definitely when it aired than like now, because it's just like, we are all constantly being surveilled. So it's just kind of like, I mean, yeah, duh, right? Like, (laughs) y'all, y'all really thought that they weren't surveilling the FBI's own basement. Yeah, also, like, the FBI loves surveilling people. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, I think that's everything we have to say about EBE. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed us talking about aliens. Uh, I enjoyed talking about aliens. Me too. We will inevitably talk about aliens again. <laughs> uh, but next week, we are watching Season 1, Episode 20, Darkness Falls. It's a Monster of the Week episode, so no aliens. We will have a guest, and we hope you tune in and watch the episode with us and listen to our recap. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Condensed Truth. You can email us at condensedtruthpod at gmail.com. Well, thanks for tuning in and we'll see y'all next week or two weeks. I haven't decided. <laughs> Whenever I edit them, you'll get them. Bye. Bye.